Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and you're listening to Crime Writers on Serial, a special podcast homage podcast. I've assembled some crime writers in a roundtable to talk about everyone's favorite obsession, Serial, the podcast produced by This American Life, featuring Sarah Koenig, dissecting every aspect of a crime committed about 15 years ago. That was the murder of Heyman Lee and the conviction of her ex-boyfriend, Adnan Saeed, for the crime. Today we'll be talking about episode 10, which is called The Best Defense is a Good Defense. I've co-authored three books about real crimes, and if you're flipping through the more obscure channels on your cable lineup late at night, you might see me talking about crime on one of those docu-journalism TV shows, you know, the kind with the reenactments with names like Deadly Women and Deadly Sins. And today we're talking with some of my people, three other crime writers. First, my real-life partner in crime, my co-author, Kevin Flynn. He was a longtime TV reporter before jumping into crime writing with his first book about New Hampshire serial killer Sheila Labar, Wicked Intentions. Kevin, thanks for coming in to talk about Serial with me. Well, I didn't have a choice, but thank you, Rebecca. (laughs) Also here in the studio is Laura Bricker. She's an experienced reporter, freelance writer, the author of the true crime book Lie After Lie. She also, very interestingly, worked as a private detective and a criminal defense investigator. Laura, welcome. Thank you. Finally, we have Toby Ball. He is the author of Invisible Secrets and other works of noir and crime fiction. He also has a fascinating day job. He works at the Crimes Against Children Research Center at University of New Hampshire. Toby, thanks so much for coming over and joining us. Thank you. Okay, so this is the first time we're gathering as a group of writers to talk about something we've all been listening to separately. To be fair, I did have to convince you to listen to it for a while, which is pretty shocking, Kevin. Yeah, because I love This American Life. It just seemed, you know, it's funny because it seems like a commitment, right? When you know that this is going to be a 13-episode thing that, I mean, I think for a listener, you have to, like, you have to get want to get married to the podcast. And if it's not good, then you're you're stuck. But this has been really interesting. And I, I think that, you know, it's, it's it, you can binge listen to this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found it took over my life once I started listening to it. (laughs) How many people did you all tell about it when you started listening to it? Well, everybody was already listening to it in my group of friends. Uh, People want to start a serial club similar to a book club Mm -hmm. so that we don't have to actually read the book. We can just discuss cereal (laughs) and drink wine, perhaps. That's a very, very good idea. I'm interested to know... if you feel comfortable weighing in on this, that you can be like in a camp right now if you've been listening to all the episodes. You know, the the Adnan is definitely innocent camp. The Adnan definitely did it camp. The Sarah Koenig, I don't know, camp. Um, I'm just curious, what, what camps do you fall into? Laura, do you have an answer for that? Um, well, I've come from the defense background, and I've kind of gone back and forth, and I think that's partly the way that Sarah's telling the story. 
I have to say, after this week, I'm I'm back into the. I think Adnan isn't guilty, but there's definitely something that he knows about the case, and I feel like he has some involvement. I'm not really sure what yet. I feel like Jay is obviously more involved, and there's something with um, Jay's girlfriend. I feel like there's definitely a dynamic between her and Adnan that hasn't been fleshed out yet that I think plays into what might have really happened. That's very interesting. Toby, what about you? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of with Laura in that, uh, you know, you kind of go back and forth as the series progresses. And right now, you know, it just doesn't seem like it played out the way that, you know, the trial made it seem like it played out. So that, you know, if Adnan did have something to do with it, it didn't happen the way that that Jay was kind of – intimating that it did. Right. Or intimating over and over again in different ways that it happened. Yes. Exactly. What about you, Kevin? I guess I'm leaning more towards Adnan did not do it. And I mean, that seems really to be what the narrative is and and where it's going. And I think that's where Sarah's, whether she means to or not, that's where she's taking it. At least that's, I think, what a lot of the listeners are in it for. The story that they're hearing is a lot of doubt. And then it kind of, you know, goes back and forth and there's some red herrings. But I think that you know, if we're going to talk about as writers, we really have to talk about where we think the story is going to end and what would be a satisfying conclusion. And, of course, we don't know. And we're not dealing like what Toby does where he can just write a really great ending. Where Laura and I are, it's kind of like it has to have a great ending. And so I think, you know, a great ending in real life is Adnan walking out of prison. But that's probably not going to happen in the next three weeks, even if – you know, the next episode blows the lid off of it, which is what I think all the listeners want to hear. Well, it's interesting. I think this week, for the first time, it felt like the first time to me, I felt like Sarah, you know, did something that we sometimes are able to do in writing, um, but not in real time. She sort of pushed the fourth wall away, and she said, there's been a lot of news this week about Adnan getting an appeal. And I just thought, like, oh, my God, like, she's talking to me and about what I'm reading about the case that's not about this podcast. And she has at other times brought in new information that she's learned. But this is the first time that she's talked about the case being covered outside of the podcast right now. And that really struck me in terms of, like, this probably won't have a satisfying ending, and she might be setting us up for that. She might be preparing us for that. Is that is that how you guys reacted to that? Um, I didn't really think so much about that. I'm, I'm still trying to think, you know, what is the ending? And I keep going back to that scene in the beginning with the cliffs that was in Jay's initial statement and then didn't come up again. Patapsco State Park, is that what the scene? Where they went out and smoked pot yep. in the woods and then they didn't. And uh, to me, that would be a satisfying ending if... Jay or somebody comes forward and says, yes, that's where it actually happened, because I really don't think it happened in the Best Buy parking lot. So you think a satisfying ending would be new information that we haven't heard yet that also isn't part of sort of the public stuff that we can have, that we can consume if we choose to? Yeah, something that's coming forward now as people are hearing this on the radio and maybe somebody's remembering something that they didn't come forward with previously. What about you? So you're a fiction writer, Toby, so I'm interested to know your take um, in terms of like how you would structure the story if it were fiction and where you think it's actually going to go. I think one of the things I thought was interesting was um, a couple episodes ago when they find out that there's no, um, there was never a phone booth at the Best Buy. And I was thinking that in a, you know, in a crime novel, like that's, that's the piece. That's like the key. And then suddenly Jay's lies sort of crumble and, and the plot sort of comes out. Um, that that seems clearly not going to happen in this case. Um, but, I, you know, 
I'm a little pessimistic about whether there's going to be like a very uh, satisfying conclusion to it because mm-hmm. she doesn't seem to know where it's going. But I, I, I do think, you know, getting some more idea of what was behind the murder, what was the motive, and sort of a, a better idea of what the relationship between Jay and Adnan or maybe a third person who was the actual murderer uh, just just getting a little bit more of a picture of how that all worked. It, it, it seems like some of the episodes do have a big aha, oh my God moment. I think the one, at least for me this week, and Kevin, I'd love you to, to speak about this because you know you and I write a lot about trials, like a big part of the process of our writing together, was really hearing that first trial and how the first trial was so different than the second trial and it was actually going you know, kind of well. Like, what were your thoughts about that? Well, I think that, you know, um, trials – sometimes, you know, when you, when you, you write uh, a true crime book, you spend a lot of time talking about the trial. And I don't think that's really a great narrative because the story isn't the trial. It's, you know, everything that leads up to it. So sort of that trial exposition kind of thing um, – I don't think it always plays well with the the audience. I mean, that's why the, you know, the uh, law part of Law and Order, you know, the trial scenes are kind of compact. But it was really interesting to hear sort of during the... um, uh, the, the the voir dire of the um, uh, of the jury to hear the side conversations with the judge who has a conflict and it kind of re- you know really paints this interesting picture of Baltimore mm-hmm. and the justice system there. Um, I thought yeah that first trial it seemed to be like um, you know Gutierrez is is swinging some good punches but like Sarah says she's really not landing them. Uh, very clearly you, you, you know the whole idea about uh, Jay getting an attorney from the prosecutor was really strange. That was the second trial. The first trial was the trial that was actually going pretty well, and Gutierrez was a little bit more effective and kind of on her game, and then the judge called her a liar in the courtroom, and, you know, she was a little bit fiery, and and, and the juror said, so what happens now? Are we supposed to start over again? And then the mistrial was declared, but the jury was then polled, and they all said that they would have found him innocent. Which is interesting because I think one of the things that we see is, is that lawyer as a character is not only that she can be abrasive, so that yeah. could cut both ways. And also then what I thought was really interesting was her downfall, her mental, her physical downfall because we, it gets set up in the first episode that she – uh, you know, was maybe embezzled some money, was disbarred, and is dead. And it's implied that she was a really bad lawyer. And now we, now at this point, and you don't want to hear everything in the second episode, you know. But they've w- held that that part back, and now we're hearing that, and it adds just this other richness to what happened at trial. And because they've been talking about that the first trial ended in a, in a, in a mistrial, but they never said anything sort of about casually why. casually dropped that crumb yeah. and then looped back around, which is sort of the storytelling style of this whole thing, I think. So, Laura, you used to work with public defenders. Yes. What did you think listening to these this trial tape this week? Um, well, I think for me a lot of it was the way that she came across as a defense attorney. And one of my roles as an investigator was I always had to think like a juror. Um, as I was investigating cases and how is this going to come across to a jury and how is this going to make them feel, you know. And listening to her, if I had been a juror, I would have been rubbed the wrong way by her abrasive tone, her fiery uh, delivery, her antagonistic style of cross-examining Jay. I don't think it worked. It didn't work for me, so I don't know. I was surprised when the jurors were going to acquit based on her style. Um, Obviously, I wasn't in the courtroom, but... It was. It's interesting to listen to 
her approach, which was obviously much more in your face than we would see here in New Hampshire, I think. That's true. And and Toby, I think about what you said before about like sort of the aha moment that doesn't come to fruition. It always seems like she's she's got something and she's right there and then she just never like delivers that for us. Yeah, never seals the deal on those points. <laughs> yeah, you know, I you know, one thing that I had been wondering about is, you know, she she has this reputation of being a very effective lawyer and then she has this terrible downfall. And how much that downfall plays into the different outcomes of the two trials, whether she had it more together for the first one where she was she was ending up with a good outcome, supposedly. Um, and then in the second one, it, it's sort of a disaster. Yeah, it was all very strange, the, the what people were talking about about her demanding money. And it just seemed like she was getting all these money from all these clients and she was asking for cash. And there was a lot of um, erratic behavior, a lot of... It seems sort of like maybe some psychiatric stuff going on. And then Sarah Koenig just very casually says, you know, she had this problem. She had MS, which we know is a degenerative, you know, disease, which can cause like a lot of psychiatric problems. It can cause depression. It can cause impulsivity. And, I, I, you know, I wonder, like, what, what was the money thing about? Well, you know, one of the clerks said something about how she was never the same after that second trial, which when you first hear that sounds like she was so depressed, she believed in him. And I really wonder if it was she was never the same right before that trial because at one point does does sort of her decline in health begin um, because she's also asking Adnan's family for big chunks of money too. So this this pattern, if it had never occurred in her career before, it's starting to happen now, which would indicate maybe there's, there's something wrong there. But again, I think you know when it sets it up in episode one that she was – a brash a lawyer who didn't do X, Y, and Z to finally get here and kind of hear more about the humanity in her, the pathos. I'm like, that's really – I think that's good storytelling. And I think Sarah waited for the right moment as she's plotting out these 13 episodes to drop that. Right. So let's talk about the storytelling. And I'd love to hear from you, Toby, on this uh, as a novelist and then also from Laura. The the initial sort of, um, I think of it as like scattering crumbs on a table and just sort of mentioning them. You know, there's the lawyer, there's this person named Jen, there's this. And then looping back to each one of those and picking it up and really looking at it. Do you think this has been an effective way to, to let this story unfold? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, it's been interesting for me to try to anticipate what she's known all along and then what she's kind of picking up as, as they go along uh, week to week. Uh, I think Jay is probably the biggest example of that because I, I, w- I just have to assume, was it two episodes ago or whatever, they're talking to the police consultant and she says, well, what would you do if you wanted to get to the bottom of this? And he says, well, to talk to Jay. Mm-hmm. And then they cut straight to, well, we're going to talk to Jay, which – you know, it seemed a little false to me. It seems like that would have been one of the first things they would do because right. if you could get Jay to cooperate, it ends up being a much different series. But what I like about that, and, and again, sort of admire in the storytelling, is that again, you know, it's like all this stuff you'd say, oh, we, you could have done this in the second episode. I like that we were strung along for a long time. At least we we all had suspicions about Jay. And we wonder what was the de- well, the, that's the name of the the episode. What's the deal with Jay? And and get instead of holding it out in like the second or third episode, um, there's a buildup for the the listener, which I think would you know as as a, if this were a story. Again, you probably wouldn't want to do all that and explain Jay's deal and why you know I don't think that happens in the first part of the book. 
So I don't think it should happen in the first part of the series. Well, you have to care about knowing about Jay before you know about Jay. I mean, we were really pulled along and we made she made us want to know more for a really long time. What, you, you're about to say something. Oh, I was going to say something about the storytelling technique. Uh, you know, I was thinking of it in unique in true crime uh, when you write fictional, you know, nonfiction true crime like we do. Um, you don't typically insert yourself into the story like this. And I think it really worked that Sarah's really the protagonist. At one point, I was kind of thinking of her like, you know, this is like a Kinsey Milhone kind of character. And you're following along with her as she's making wrong turns, sort of like you would more in a traditional mystery novel format. Um, and, you know, she also has a sidekick, like a traditional protagonist. <laughs> Crab so, <crib. laughs> Yeah. So I think that's very effective because that puts, I think, the listener in a more active role throughout this um, that you might not get if you were in a more detached format. It is also a real radio storytelling technique. I mean, working in radio, I actually knew the beginning of that episode that we weren't going to hear Jay in that episode. And I knew it because they had a tape of the conversation on the way to his house. And I just, I heard that tape and I thought, man, that's what I would do if I didn't have tape of Jay. Because if I had tape of Jay, boom, that would be the first sounds you would hear in that episode were Jay's voice, because that's what we've been waiting for. So I felt this like, oh, God, they weren't able to get him on tape. And then, like you said, it became about Sarah's experience driving there. And you actually hear her say, listen to me, I sound like I'm on, you know, I sound like a crazy person. And then you hear them in the car reacting afterwards. And her reaction is just like, oh, my God, he's like a real person that I've been digging into. Taking off from Laura's point, though, I think that Sarah's journey becomes the listener's journey. So we are going along with her. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she expresses doubts. So then we express doubt. If her, if her opinion as a narrator was like, this is baloney and it's really Jay or it's really whomever else, it's not Adnan, then that would be the tone of the whole thing. What's, I think, great, again, about the storytelling of this is that there is enough self-doubt um, I don't want to say reasonable doubt like it, it, it as a legal term, but there's enough uh, narrative doubt that it gets you going back and forth. And then just when you think, oh, yeah, this is the thing. I'm totally in this camp. Then Sarah has an episode where she's like, I don't know what to make of this guy. You know, um, why didn't he just you know, why isn't he angry at Jay um, if this is all a lie? And, you know, Adnan in some ways is is very sympathetic, but also a very complex and frustrating character because he seems unwilling to act, which sometimes is, you know, the way the protagonist in a fictional story is that something has got to push him into action. There's a lot of sort of messy things in the in this in this series that I don't think you do in fiction where, you know, Adnan, he self-advocates in certain ways. Like it was interesting that uh, – you know, I think he stipulates like the one thing to look at is how could I get from my high school parking lot to Best Buy and strangle her and make this phone call? Um, like he knows that that's not true. And we find out later that it's not it's not true as well. So he's willing to do that. But when it comes time to like impeach Jay's, you know, story or, or, or try and cast suspicion on him, uh, as far as I can remember, he he, he just doesn't. No, he's he not, doesn't. He's not willing to go there. The closest he comes is in the open courtroom when he calls Jay pathetic. It's the only right. time he ever addresses Jay directly. He doesn't address Jay directly even to Sarah <coughs> when she asks. He he she, he refuses in a way to say this guy obviously did it. Like why isn't everyone looking? He won't even do that. Well, the thing that, that Adnan says, and he held this sort of you know out there, is that the reason why I didn't do it. The proof is that the timing doesn't work, and he basically challenged. 
Sarah to say, look at the time. I couldn't possibly do it. Then they have an episode where they do run the route, and he she calls him back and says, we did it, and we were able to do it. And right. he was like, oh, he really seemed, you, you know, I mean, you can guess how sincere he was, but he seemed to think that there's no way anybody could do he it. Was in that time. He was yeah. deflated. He was deflated. But then it turns out that that's especially if the, the time, time right. timeline yeah. is not correct. But, but I, I don't know about you guys. I never believed that phone call timeline. I thought that phone call timeline was always bogus. We're, we're believing a, a somewhat a known liar, and the, and, the, and the police had just decided that this two thirty six phone call was Adnan saying, "Hey, come get me." That was a decision the police made. Is that how you felt about it? Yeah, I, I did not agree with the timeline. I did not agree with the Best Buy parking lot. It just it didn't seem to add up to me. And I felt like I've I've always felt like there was a third person that was involved in this or something else uh, because the timeline really never did add up. It didn't make sense. And you've got so much doubt on that. You've got Asia McLean saying he's here at this time. It just it didn't really work. Now, you said something before we turned the microphones on, and I usually don't like doing this, talking about things we talked about when the microphones weren't on, about you feel like there was a dynamic between Jay and Stephanie. Is that something that you can tell us about, your your sort of gut there? Oh, in terms of, yeah. I mean, I always, it was interesting. I was just re-listening to this. I started re-listening again. Oh, yeah, I have to. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, Stephanie was the prom princess, and Adnan was the prom prince. And I feel like there was this, so maybe there was this sort of threatening dynamic between Jay and Adnan. You know, there was an episode where they were talking about Jay, you know, Stephanie was his whole world. So I felt like there's definitely something else going on. You know, when you're looking at this as a love story, I'm like, well, maybe this is the actual love triangle Mm -hmm. that was going on with the birthday present. Because it did seem a little odd to me that Adnan would be worried about whether Jay had gotten Stephanie a birthday present. Why was he so involved in this? Uh, Something something else is going on there. To me, that just felt very high school. I mean, that's the one thing that I think it's so important to remember and the thing that we, you know, we're looking at kids. You know, Adnan's 15 years older. Everyone's an adult now that she's talking to, but we're looking at kids, and kids don't behave the way that adults behave. And, you know, you very often hear, you you never know how you'd behave if you actually killed someone, but, like, also you wouldn't know how you'd behave if you were a kid. And, and killed someone. And I actually have, you know, my sense about the Jay Stephanie thing, when I hear that someone is someone's whole world in high school, like, that worries me. I think, like, what's wrong with that relation? I don't know. That's one of the things that's been swirling around for me as I've been listening to this. Well, no matter what camp you're in, I mean, there's a couple of things that you have to stipulate to. And one is that Jay was involved in some fashion because he told the police where the car was. So it's So either it's him and Adnan, or it's Jay covering for somebody else, which could be himself. Um, if Jay is involved, Jay has to be working with a second person because you can't get two cars. You can't, you know, move Hay's car and then somehow get back to Adnan's car or, or whatever. So there has to be a second person. It's either Adnan. It's either a friend of his, his girlfriend. Who knows? Uh, it would. It could be Jen. I mean, does anybody have any thoughts here about Jen? No, Jen, who changed her story uh, after she went to see Jay, first didn't talk to the police and then went and talked to Jay. And then she was the first one to tell the police the Jay story. That story came from Jen first, that story about. Well, the anonymous phone call was actually the first telling the 
that's how they got onto Adnan. Somebody make drops a dime right. and saying it's Adnan. But that narrative about about Jay having Adnan's car, doing the driving around with Adnan, getting high, killing Hay, that all came from Jen first, and then and then Jay came in and gave his interviews. I mean, there's a couple of things that like if we're going to step outside of the writer role and look at you know the detective role for a second in real life, a couple of things I don't believe. One, if Adnan is saying a day or a week ahead of time that he's going to kill Hay. Why is she strangled? Because he, you, if you were going to do that, you would bring a tool of some kind, a gun, a knife, even a rope. And this, when you strangle someone to death, it implies that it was unplanned and that it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Also, I don't believe Jay's detail when he says that Adnan told him as he was strangling, hey, she mouths the, word, she mouths the words, I'm sorry. Yeah. Which – would imply that she knows what she's supposed to be sorry about as she's dying <laughs> and that that's what she could do. I mean, if she's going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's one thing. But if it's this, I'm sorry for everything I've done, if that's really what you're doing with your mouth as you're about to die, I, I mean, those are just two details that just seem really far-fetched and probably seem like something that would be more a work of fiction. A bad work of fiction. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the whole, uh, you know, the story that Jay tells, even about like what happens after uh, Hay is murdered, where essentially they drive around, get stoned in various places, make a couple of phone calls. They stop by Jay's friends, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, not Kathy. Is it <laughs> Kathy? Not Kathy. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Banksy Kathy. <laughs> and she's just kind of like. Wow, these guys are wasted, and Adnan is is just sort of sitting catatonic until he gets this phone call, and then he he makes this comment about you know what am I going to tell him, and <laughs> and you know Sarah thinks it can be taken two different ways. So it, it, there's just so many things about the story that seem odd. Like I you know I can't put myself in a 17 year old's mind, although I have a 17 year old son. Uh, but the idea that your initial the initial thing you do after you kill your girlfriend is you put her in a trunk and then you just drive around and get look high for, and try pot, and get yeah. some more pot and stop by somebody's house and try and smoke some more <laughs> pot and then you finally find a place in Baltimore to bury her. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a strange, it's a strange story. It's a strange, a it would be a strange thing to do, and then b it's kind of a strange thing to come up with as your lie, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, Maybe. there were there were iterations of stories that came. And the final lie is really the result of a story being told over and over and over again and sort of being massaged. I mean, when you worked in defense, was that something that you saw happen where witnesses, you know, talk about that experience? Like, how does that go down? Well, I can, I can tell you a funny story. So I have a friend, I call her the upmarket intuitive, and she used to say she loves true crime. And she used to say, can I go with you when you go out and interview people? I can tell you if they're telling the truth. And I said, everybody I talk to is pretty much lying. Um, it's just different shades of lies. So it was, you know, I think a lot of times people line up their stories ahead of time. There's a lot of witness tampering. There's a lot of people that say what they think is going to sound like something that's going to help somebody because they want to help out. And it's it's not really the truth. I think what I came away with from doing the type of interviews that I did, witness interviews in criminal cases, was it's more a shade of gray. Um, there's probably some truth to what people are telling you. It's in there somewhere. Um, and, and you would get all sorts of different versions of stories. You could have three people in the same car, and each one is giving a different account of where something happened that day. 
some deliberate, some not, you know, who knows. But I think that just goes to, you know, the theme in the beginning about what were you doing six weeks ago? Most people can't remember. So when somebody came to me and had an exact memory of something that happened, I was always a little bit skeptical. Hmm. So do you think that the the things that are um, the kernels of truth that are in the lie, are you able to tell what those are at all? I mean, have you, do you have any sense about what those could be in, in Jay's story, that what might be true because it kind of comes up again and again? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just feel like Jay's story is so all over the place. I, I, I have – it makes me wonder if this – like you said, I think it was you, Kevin, that said, you know, he's covering up for something that he was involved with. And he's concocted a story with Adnan in there using his own details. Um, and, and to go back to when we were talking about Adnan's sort of demeanor, um, that's one of the things, you know, occasionally – there are, like I said, shades of gray, but every once in a while – you know, you do get somebody who didn't commit a crime. Mm-hmm. Those are the hardest clients to have. Because like they like don't, Deirdre said. They true? don't know how to help themselves. Yeah. It's very frustrating because they're not thinking, I'm guilty. I need to get out of this. They're, they're thinking, well, I'm not going to get convicted of this. Right. Um, so it's very frustrating. Probably the f- first telling of the story is the one closest to the truth. That would just be my guess because yeah. then as you go along – Is that then, how your lies have gone in the past, Kevin? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, sh- you, you know, you shave the rough edge off each time. But again, you know, what is really interesting about this when it's true, I mean you can't change sort of the, the plot. Um, but, I, but, you know, wouldn't this be a really uh, wow moment for the story if towards the end we find out it's not Jay at all? Um, you know, that would be a great creative yeah. twist, I think, if she could be writing this as a p- work of fiction. Um, but, I mean, there are all sorts of, you know, the setup is so great. You know, now there are all sorts of places, if it were fiction, it could go. It's the xenophobic science teacher. It's Mr. S. Mr. S. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. S Mr. would be S. my guess. Mr. S. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a while ago. We just He sort of was his own episode, red herring. She kind of told the whole story and then kind of dropped Mr. S, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Mr. S was uh, a little bit of uh, – I, I think he had some issues. <laughs> well, I, the, the thing that was strange about him was that he happened to park at a certain spot and walk back into the woods to a certain spot to urinate and, and sees this body that even a, a cop who knows it's there like walks and he can't, he can't see it. It's kind of strange. Yeah. I, I think – my theory on him, I think he's like some sort of a peeping Tom voyeur. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's watching. Maybe he's seen things. Maybe this is something that excites him. So he's going back to look at this and eventually (laughs) maybe has sort of a moment of conscience. But, you know, like you said, he worked at the school. He's got these past sort of indecent exposure charges. You know, this is the type of person that might be watching young uh, teenagers out parking. uh, uh, Sort of my crime writer thought was, you know, if if he did it, like, why does he go back again? And it's, you know, I could see him doing it and then thinking, you know, there's got to be evidence that I left there. And how do I get past that? Well, I go back again and I find her. And then did it make sense that there's, you know, hair or footprints or whatever that are mine because I was there, you know, finding the body. But the, the problem with that theory is then, then how does Jay fit into this? You know, Mr. S would then have to be working with Jay in some way because Jay knows where – 
Hayes Carr is. Or right. Mr. S or Mr. But, S and J are connected in some way. Maybe J knows Mr. S in some other way. Mr. S heard the story. They're drug dealers with one another. Something great, something, yeah. yeah. But uh, but we're kind of stuck with what the actual facts of the case are. Yeah. And when right. you think about when we write true crime is that, you, you know, uh, um, it's not Agatha Christie that anybody, you know, with the newspaper or the Internet can go and see who de- who done it at the end. Right. So the but you read a book sort of all at once. And so with with serial, because it's coming out bit by bit by bit, um, the the listeners have enough time to go every week to start picking apart the rest of what is known. Right. Where Sarah is very deliberately trying to, you know, put some of this, put some of that. I'm going to come back to that and make the best story. <laughs> I think she's doing a pretty good job at that, but but some but is in some ways undermined by her own audience um, who are looking for these spoilers about what happened with this and what happened with that. And, and um, you know, she's got to kind of respond to, like as she did with there was some news about Adnan. You know, we... Either you knew about it because it was on the internet or, 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 or something else. It's a spoiler that wasn't supposed to be part of the narrative. I actually I don't agree that she was naive to what people would do in real time. Sarah is a Luddite. I mean, she's like a confessed Luddite. If you ever listen to This American Life, like she doesn't even like have a smartphone. Like she's she is not technologically adept, but she is surrounded by people who are. And this show, you know, sort of um, – she talks to people coming out of the woodwork as the show started coming out, and she actually gave a little nod to uh, the Reddit thread that's been talking about Serial uh, in this last episode. At the very end, she said, you know, or maybe he's just a psychopath. I mean, it's very much a nod to sort of this conversation that's happening out there, and I, I'm not sure that she didn't think this would but happen. But she couldn't the have world. anticipated there'd be six million downloads oh. and what the geometry of that does. Yeah, that's, that's probably she get, She's going to a couple of interviews where they talk about how much do you monitor the social media around it. And she said that she had some people who were paying attention, but they were mostly looking for, like, A, if somebody was really coming forward with new information that was legit, or B, if people were saying things that were you know, horrible and untrue that they wanted to kind of tamp down. But for the most part, just letting people... Just like every ramble. police investigation, somebody wants to insert themselves. They don't have real information, right. but they're, they're, they're making it difficult. Okay, so let's get to the end here. We we are used to wrapping up stories. We're used to telling stories. Toby, you're the only exception here where, like, someone could Google this and figure out what happened, and so you have to make it good. Um, and knowing that we don't really know what's going to happen to Adnan, knowing that we don't really know what other facts Sarah might have that we don't have, I'm curious, where would you all like to see this go? I think that the ending, the only way the ending in real life can be satisfying is if not only do you... Um, exonerate Adnan, but you have to implicate somebody else like Jay. And I just think without sort of that resolution that it's not really, you know, if this were just a book and it ended with sort of the, well, he's going to maybe get another appeal. And, you know, I mean, it just, to me, that's the way the story needs to wrap up. But I don't think in real life it can. That's very true crime TV of you, Kevin. What about you, Toby? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I'm a little bit different in that, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sa- sure how satisfying this would be to people in general, but but to a certain extent, it seems like the whole part of the theme of of the series is that it, it, things just aren't as clear cut as as they are in fiction, and you know, you're not always going to come out with a satisfying answer. And to a certain extent, you know, being left with questions uh, seems to kind of reflect the reality of what of what's going on there. Uh, so. You know, I don't know if that would be satisfying, but to me that would sort of be sort of 
I guess, thematically appropriate that, you know, there are answers to certain parts of it, but there are parts of it that just that, that can't be answered. It's very public radio as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Laura? Yeah, I was going to, I kind of agree with that, Toby, because, you know, you're telling a story without knowing the ending. There's all sorts of different accounts. And along the way, for me, it's sort of become more just enjoying the process of listening to it and thinking about it and trying to figure it out. I mean, we certainly, you know, some sort of a resolution would be wonderful, whether it's at the end, Adnan goes, huh, just kidding, I'm a psychopath like Ted Bundy, (laughs) or Jay comes forward or someone else. You know, that would be great, but... I don't think that's going to happen at this point. Well, whatever happens, maybe we'll come back next week to talk about it. Next week's episode is called Rumors. That's something that I learned on the internets today. Wondering what the rumor could be. Anyone want to take a guess as to what the rumors that she's talking about are going to be? Probably Jay's romantic relationships. Adnan and Stephanie. What about you? Any guesses? I'll I'll go with either one of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Laura Bricker, Toby Ball, Kevin Flynn, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. You're welcome. Kip. Thanks. For those of you who downloaded this podcast on iTunes, please take a couple minutes and leave a review. It would really help me out when deciding to make more of these podcasts or not. You can also search for the website I've made for this podcast. It's got my name in it. It's a little bit wonky. So just look in Google for Crime Writers on Serial, and it should come up there. If you've got feedback or ideas of what we can talk about between seasons of Serial, send me an email at reblavoie at gmail.com. That's R-E-B-L-A-V-O-I-E at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.